Well, we are wrapping up a series, a four-week vision series called The Church Recovered, all right? And it's an opportunity for, for us uh, to go ahead and explore like our mission as a church, like what it is that we're seeking uh, to be about. And uh, our mission as a church, as we talk about it here at Crosspoint, is this. There's kind of an initial aspect to it. Like if you don't hear anything else, hear, hear this. It's to point our community to Jesus. Like you need Jesus. I need Jesus. People who haven't met Jesus yet, what do they need? They need Jesus. People that have a relationship with Jesus, what do they need? They need more of Jesus. And so we're all about Jesus. We want to point our community to Jesus, not to our church or to us or our seven steps to this life or whatever. Like we need Jesus. And so our hope then as we point people to Jesus, ourselves included, is that there'd be these sort of outcomes. If you want to know what we hope for you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're new in your journey, or if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, our picture of discipleship, here's what we're after as a church, is that people would know God, as we looked at that the first week, all right, that it would be more than intellectual information about God. It's not a bunch of fun facts about God, but you'd be in this intimate relationship with the God of the universe. And as that happens, you would begin to find freedom, that you would see how dependent you and I are upon the grace and the mercy of God. We wouldn't be enslaved to the patterns and things of this world, thinking that that's where we get our identity, but rather we'd find this freedom in knowing God. And then we would experience belonging. We're not meant to do this in isolation, but it's not just for us to get a few friends and feel like, oh, I'm connected, but rather to extend hospitality to help other people experience belonging as well. And so both of those things are meant to go together. And ultimately, as we're living this out, it's this call then to seek renewal. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And each week, what we've been doing in this series is saying, hey, we need to recover a particular kind of ancient practice so that we don't miss out. Because it's easy to sort of drift. It's easy sometimes to even get fatigued with just this mission that God has given to us. And so what does it look like to recover certain practices? And so along with Know God, the first week we looked at recovering our confession, meaning like, are we dialed into what the gospel is, the good news of Jesus Christ? And so we want to make sure that that is central. If we miss that, we literally miss everything. We should just pack it up and go home, all right? And then we looked at in finding freedom, recovering our dependence. Do you and I have a posture of dependence What's your prayer life like? Are you crying out to the Lord, realizing that you're a desperate, needy person? I am as well. All right, none of us have this figured out. And then an experience belonging, this call to recover this ancient, beautiful practice of sort of this radical, ordinary hospitality of hospitality simply meaning like a love of the stranger, moving toward people, moving toward people that you may not know in the church, moving toward people you may not know out in the community, moving toward people that you're like, I've lived next to this person for the last 10 years and I haven't really gotten to know them, extending a meal to them. What might that look like? And then this morning, we're going to look at this call to seek renewal with recovering, the idea here, recovering our stewardship. What does it look like to be a good and faithful steward? And we're going to look at a passage, another parable of Jesus that's told in Matthew 25. But this idea here, let me unpack this for a moment, is something to be renewed. It's not a call for you and I to go create something, right? Like God's the creator, all right? And he invites us though into this work of renewal. It's as if something that has been maybe torn apart or damaged or you know, needs some polishing up, so to speak, like we get to enter into those places. Some language that we've been using as a church is along this series is four practices, all right? So we might be a faithful presence. There's an absence that the world feels. There's a darkness, there's a void. And we get to, as the church, step in and not say, look at me, I'm awesome, but redirect toward Jesus. And that is our calling. And we want to love our neighbors well. We want to see the renewal of our communities. 
This is good work to do. Even if somebody doesn't end up professing belief in Christ, we pray that they, they would. There's still a call for us to see our community flourish. Makes me think of the passage. You might be familiar with this. There's some famous verses in and around it in Jeremiah chapter 29. I want to read verses 4 to 7 to you in just a moment. But the context is this, you have God's people and they are exiles, they're living in Babylon and there's some false teachers, preachers, prophets that have come on the scene and here's what they're saying. Hey, guys, listen, it's just a matter of time. We're gonna go back. Don't worry, just hang tight, sit back. Now, this same issue is part of even the Christian church today where there can be a tendency to be like, all right, Jesus is going to come back any moment. I can just kind of sit back. I know I've got a right relationship with him. I'm going to kind of twiddle my thumbs. I'm going to buy some time. I'm going to kick back. College football is on. Good to go. You find this. Go read uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. The apostle Paul has to rebuke a group of people because he's like, hey, listen here, dum-dum. You need to get a job. You need to work. If you don't work, you can't eat, all right? You are thinking that Jesus is coming back any day now, and you're slothful, and you're lazy. It's like, it's going to be a while. So work, care for people, you know, make a life, all right? It's the same sort of language. This is what renewal looks like. So there's work to do as we await the coming of Jesus. It's not just kick back, all right? So Jeremiah 29 says this to the sort of rebuking of these false prophets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who have, whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's the word, all right? And I think this applies to you and to me. Even the apostle Peter would use in 1 Peter this language that we're, as the Christian church, we actually are exiles. So this applies to us. He says this, go ahead and build houses and live in them. Plant gardens, eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. And then this call, but seek the welfare. It's this language, seek the flourishing of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And this is the calling for us that you and I have been placed by God in the particular community that you live, the school that you're at, the job that you work, the friendships that you have. And your call and my call, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to seek the flourishing, to seek the welfare, to not kick back and think, oh, I'm good to go with Jesus. But there would be this burden. We want to see this movement of renewal that might lead to revival in our time, in our place. God, may it be so in this context. Let's not just wait for in the future. Let's not just hear about the stories in the past. But God, would you come and do a work right here and right now? And there needs to be this inner work in our spirit first and that would flow out, that we would seek the welfare of the city. Is that our call? Is that your disposition? Is that my disposition? There's a slothfulness, there's a laziness that we'll look at even in this parable that creeps into my heart, into my life and can make me sort of motivated in the moment to do this and then just sort of get busy with life. But there needs to be this call. We drift away from mission. So this call, this series together forces, let's recover this idea of our stewardship. If we see ourselves rightly as stewards, I think it can lead to this movement of renewal. And so turn with me, Matthew chapter 25. We're going to look at this parable. It's called the parable of the talents. All right. If you brought a Bible, turn there. If you didn't, we want you to be able to follow along. Right. So there's some paperback Bibles on the back tables there. You can get up, grab one of those, turn to page 921. Your other option always as well is phone, tablet, whatever device you have. Go to cpwp.life. Swipe over to the second card. It'll say message notes. The text for this morning 
things that you see up on the screen, opportunities, even ways to respond, sign up for things as we talk about, all right, it's all there. There's space to take notes. You can send them to yourself, email them to yourself afterwards. So we're going to be in Matthew 25, 14 to 30. It's called the parable of the talents. And so I want to read this in sections this morning and look at Jesus's words and how this might instruct us as we seek to recover our stewardships, that we might be about this work of renewal. And so the first thing that we see in these opening verses, I'll read verses 14 to 18, is we need to just rightly understand this calling, this identity that we have as stewards. So it says this, beginning in verse 14, for it, so Jesus starts in the story, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. Verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went, dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So you get this opening story by Jesus, all right? What he's communicating to us right out of the gate, all right, is this principle, like we need to grasp this, this truth needs to grip us. You and I will live counter to the ways that God has designed for us to live if we do not grasp this truth, that you and I are a steward, you're not an owner, all right? You might think, well, I own this, or I purchased this, or I do this. Yeah, yeah, but where did the ability to come to even work the job that you do or to do the things in the world that you do? It all came from the Lord. He literally owns everything. You're not an owner, you're a steward, all right? I'm not an owner, I'm a steward. And so right out, right out of the gate here, he tells us this story, all right? There's this master, all right? This is God in the parable, all right, who has three servants, Two go in a particular direction and one does the exact opposite, all right? And so the way to think about this, all right, how we're going to talk about this even in this context, time, talent, treasure. Think through those three things. God has given you certain amount of time, this time that you have on this earth, the days that you have, the amount of minutes you have, the hours, all right? Do you view that as something to be stewarded well? You have talents, you have abilities, how are you stewarding those? Or do you see yourself, nope, those are my abilities, those are my skills, I did that, I developed that, I went to school for that. Or do you see, no, no, the Lord has bestowed that graciously upon me. And then treasure, your financial resources, what you possess, the, the assets that you have, the money that you have, the income that you generate, all of that stuff, there's a call to stewardship. You're not an owner of that. And so this parable starts out and it says, for it will be like a man going on a journey. And so it, we're like, well, what is it referring to? But this is in a context of other parables that Jesus is telling. And they've all been about, it refers back to a description of the kingdom. And there's been stories that Jesus has been telling that so you gotta be ready for when the king comes. But in this particular parable, he's telling us, listen, don't sit back. Don't be like the false prophets in the time of Jeremiah that were saying like, hey, any day now. Don't be like those in Thessalonica that were like, Jesus is coming back any moment now. There's this call that Jesus gives us that says, hey, it's a master who goes away on this journey, all right? And there's a call to live in Jesus' kingdom like right here and right now. Now, we wait for the perfect fulfillment of that when Jesus comes back, but there is good work for you and I to do. So that's the first thing that we see. Now, as we get into this, we need to understand there's some terminology here. 
there's some language that is used in this particular text in a way that we use it today, and then there was also a context for back then. And so on the one hand, it is good and right and true. It's fair to use it as talents in the parable of the talents to think abilities, all right? Giftedness, things that the Lord has blessed you with. That is certainly in here, all right? It's even where that idea springs from, comes from this idea of a talent. But you also need to know this, though it certainly is about your abilities and it's about time and all of that, it also is very much about money. It's about more than money, but it's certainly not less than, about, it's not less than money either. Like Jesus is making a point here. It's like, how are you stewarding what the Lord has given? And so in that time, that place, a talent was a, was a, was a way to measure things like as far as the weight of it. And so today's equivalent would be roughly 75 pounds, all right? And then one talent was the equivalent of 20 years wages for an average laborer. And so if you even run some conservative numbers about kind of start to do the amount of somebody, you know, working for 20 years, kind of making, you know, an hourly wage, and they do that full time over the course of 20 years, right? As you add some of that stuff up, one way to think about this is roughly $600,000 maybe in present day. So just think about that for a moment. The one talent guy was given $600,000. I'm going away for a while. Here's 600K. The two talent guy, $1.2 million. And then the five talent guy got $3 million. I'm going to go away. All right. And Jesus trying to teach us about how we're to live in his kingdom. And so right away, I think one of the things we have to see that maybe is obvious now as we sort of unpack that because we look at a talent, we're like, what does that even mean? You and I have been given much. The three servants in this parable were given much. Sure, the guy with five talents got more than the one talent guy, but it was still a lot. Like, first of all, do you see that? Do you recognize that? Do I recognize that? Sometimes we walk around, I think, with sort of a scarcity mindset and we look at other people and like, oh, they got all, all of this. You have been given much. And so that's right out of the gate, one of the things that's being communicated here. You have been given much. And yet, the propensity of my heart, and maybe you can track with this, is to always look or be a bit dissatisfied or look and say, well, I'm a one-talent person. How come that person got two? Or this, you know, the two-talent person being like, they, they got five, all right? And we can tend to look and critique, Lord, why didn't you give me this ability? Why does that person have that particular circumstance? And if we boil that down, it really is, when I'm in that mode, it's me shaking my fist at the heavens saying, God, you made a mistake, you did it wrong. In a book, Living Your Strengths, Albert Weinsman said it this way, from a spiritual viewpoint, when we deny our talents and instead focus on our weaknesses, on some level, we are telling God that we know best and that God somehow made a mistake in gracing us with our unique mix of talents. And so, who you are in life doesn't mean that God doesn't, isn't calling you to this work of sanctification, of growth, and all of that, all right? There is that, but also just start with the grace of God, his provision. He has given you much. And apparently the master would look out at the servants and said, listen, to each according to their ability, meaning the master knows there are certain people that are going to be able to handle and steward better varying amounts. And it's not for us to critique the master. It all belongs to him. We shouldn't have anything. So what if we start there? I'm deserving of nothing. He gave me $600,000. Well, the other guy got $3 million. Shut up. Like you got $600,000, right? That's what I need to tell my heart in that moment. 
But there's this drift, right? Oh, I lack, I don't have this. And the Lord is reminding us he's given us a lot. And maybe just for a moment, if you drift that way, would you even, just, just think about this for a moment. Are you really even sure that you want more? Think about it. It's a weight, all right? It's a measurement of weight. So one talent, 75 pounds. That would be slightly difficult to carry, would it not? If you're lugging around 75 pounds day after day after day, that's a particular burden to carry. Then you think about the person that's got, all right, they've got 150 pounds and they're lugging that around day after day after day. It would be exhausting. And the hundreds of, I can't do the math in my head right now, but some of you are tracking with me, like the five talent guy, like, right, we're in hundreds of pounds now that you day after day are lugging around. That could be a burden. It's a great gift, but it also is a burden. And so the next time you find yourself being like, how come this person gets that? You don't even know. I don't know for a moment what it's like to walk in that person's shoes. I don't know what it's like to know their burdens, the complexity to their life. Maybe I need to just stop and say, God, I'm thankful that you gave me this and it's simple and it's smaller and whatever because there's a complexity that I can't possibly fathom. Are we always sure that we, do we really want more? I was thinking about the, the film uh, and the, the, the series of books, but the, the film, the, the Lord of the Rings, and there's this great line in it, all right? And talk about somebody who's been given something, all right? So Frodo, this little hobbit, right? Um, I guess little and hobbit are the same thing. But anyway, so he's been given this, this ring and it's this ring of power. And so one could think about it as this, this great weighty thing. And he says, as he's talking to Gandalf, the wizard, he says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. Now, why would he say that? Because many people will be like, oh, I want this thing. It's like, there is a burden here. It is difficult. And the response from the wise wizard said, and so do all, he says, who live to see such times. Like, yes, there's difficulty, all right? And he says, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. The Lord has given you time. He's given you talent. He's given you particular treasure. And the question becomes, how are you and I using that? We can spend lots of time and energy thinking through, oh, it could have been this way or this way, and fail to see that, no, the Lord has been incredibly gracious to us. And he's calling us not to focus on what our neighbor is doing, what our friend is doing, what the other people in your community group are doing, right? What are you doing with what the Lord has given? What are you doing with the time, talent, the treasure that's been given? And so after this kind of initial introduction, let's look at verses 19 to 23. The master does come back. Jesus tells this parable, all right? The master comes back. So there's this reckoning. They have to give an account now for what has transpired while he was gone. And the language here is that the master has been away for a very, very long time. So verse 19, it says this. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he would receive the five talents, came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. Three million to six million. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I made two talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much enter into the joy of your master. That is the response in this reckoning from the first two servants. What I love even in this, this story, it's really fascinating. It tells us the master gives this and then he goes away. There were no detailed instructions. 
Apparently this master is not micromanaging. He's not checking in every day via text and email being like, hey, how are you doing with what I've given to you? All right, he, in, the language here is he entrusts. The Lord has entrusted much to you. He's entrusted much to me. But there will be a reckoning. There will be, hey, giving an account for what has actually transpired. But one of the things we need to see in this is the praise, what is said to the five talent guy who increased it and made it 10 and the one who had the, the two and made it four, all right? The focus of the master isn't so much on just the fruitfulness, on the increase, but rather on faithfulness. The focus on faithfulness, not fruitfulness. Now, not anti-fruitfulness, but I think it's pretty clear the more you spend time in the scriptures that God is the one who brings fruit. We can't control that. You might be stewarding well what the Lord has given to you and sometimes the economy just goes a certain way and you don't have much to show for it. Maybe there's relationships and things that you feel like, hey, I'm stewarding my time, my talents, my investment and at the end of the day, sometimes things just happen. We live in a broken and fallen world. What we can focus on, the things that we actually can control is will we be faithful? Will we seek to invest what the Lord has given to us? Will we invite other people in to, to speak some wisdom into our lives? I imagine that these servants did that. I don't know that they just went out and just did it completely on their own in isolation. The story doesn't tell us. But there's a call to community and all this. But the focus, big picture, it's on faithfulness. I don't control the fruitfulness. I don't think you control the fruitfulness. We can pray for it. We can plan for it. We can strategize for it. But at the end of the day, like, there's a call for us to be faithful. And did you notice then the way that the master addresses these two servants? It's the exact same language around these three things about recognition, reward, and relationship. He says the exact same thing. He doesn't say to the one that had five that, you know, converted it to 10, all right? He doesn't love him more. He doesn't bring him in. There's not a special VIP room for that guy, right? He literally says the exact same thing to both of them. And so in recognition, hear these words. Let me ask you, is this the deep longing of your heart? Is this what you desire to hear these words one day? His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. How might it change your life, your day-to-day, -day, my life, all the things that we do, all the responsibilities we have, if our ultimate motivation, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. The five-talent guy, servant, hears that. The two-talent servant hears that. So there's this recognition, well done. Do we long for that? But there's also reward in this. And the same thing is said to both of them. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. So even as we think about this kind of big picture, we don't have time to unpack all of these details, all right? But maybe your picture of heaven, like when Jesus comes back, new heavens and new earth is now, okay, finally I get to kick back and do, no, like you steward things well and you'll actually be given more responsibility that there's good work to do. Now there won't be thorns and thistles and difficulty and all, all of that, but there's good work to do. And so there's a reward there. Ah, you've made much, let me, let me give you more responsibility. Let me add to that. And perhaps the greatest thing that we see here is this relationship language where the master says this to both of the servants. He says, enter into the joy of your master. It's an invitation. You get to be in my presence. You get to enjoy me and this kingdom and all of this. 
Like, does that stir your heart? Does that stir your affections? How often are we busy stewarding things for our kingdom, for our little domain, missing out on what the Lord actually has for us? There's an invitation to enter into the joy of the master. He's saying like all the joy and abundance and everything that I have, like I'm inviting you in. I'm not keeping some over here and you don't get any, any of this. He's like, I'm, you're entering into my presence. Do you see that? Now, I wish that was the end of the story, right? I wish it was all three. And we're just like, perfect, boom, that's amazing. But that isn't how the story goes. And so look with me at verses 24 to 30. There's also this call to rightly understand there's, there is a problem here, right? The third servant has a massive problem. And I wish I could say, well, it's just that third servant in this story told a couple thousand years ago. But I'm in this story and you're in this story. And if we're not careful, this, what is spoken of as a problem here, like it's a problem in my life. And I guess it's, I'm guessing it's a problem in your life. And so we need to be aware of this. Jesus in his kindness gives us these words, not to beat us down, but to showcase for us that there's two ways to live. There's no middle ground. What we're gonna see here ultimately is the third servant doesn't actually know the master, doesn't have that relationship. As you think about it as the servant, as us people to God, it's a picture here, it's a depiction, it's a terrible depiction of what it looks like when you live independent of the master. Verse 24 then says this, he also who had received the one talent came forward. So far, same pattern, saying master, but here's the shift. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. Oh, we're starting to hear it now, right? He dug a hole, put the talents in the ground. Why? There's a fear. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. So he didn't lose it, but he, he brings it to him. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent, verse 28, from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will, be, or will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then it ends. Like, okay, like what in the world are we supposed to do with that? Like, why is that being communicated? Again, God in his kindness is showcasing for us, hey, there's probably more ways that problems arise, but let me talk about a couple of things. And did you, did you notice though, there's almost that exact pattern, but it's not recognition as well done, good and faithful servants, like you wicked and slothful servant. And then what's the reward? It's not so much a reward. It's like even what you have, you don't get to keep. That's going to go to the person who is the five that got the 10 talents. And now he's up to 11. And what is the harshest language here, the relationship language, rather than being invited into the joy of the master, it's a picture of what the scriptures oftentimes, it's a description of hell. And hell is to be separated from God. This weeping and gnashing of teeth into the darkness means to be not invited into the joy of your master, but to be apart from him, to have this massive chasm where you can't be in his presence. It is hell. And then he just ends. It's like Jesus mic drop and he just walks off the hillside. I don't know, like what... Like, imagine what the response of the crowd would be. What are we supposed to do with this? And so I want to put before you a couple things. I think there's one problem for sure that, that we see. 
in here, maybe a way to think about it is the problem of possibilities. Now, possibilities, options, those aren't a bad thing, but maybe think about it in this, this way. And ask yourself, in what ways are you burying your talent? What has the Lord given to you that might be treasure that you've buried, or time and you've buried it, or talents and you've buried it? I think that can begin to surface, because I have to imagine this, maybe taking some liberties here, but I, I have to imagine this third servant he knew where he had buried it. This was, this was a common practice. People would bury things. This wasn't like a, a weird thing and he forgot where it was. Clearly, he knows right where it is. So when the master shows up, all right, he's able to go dig it up, unearth it, and bring it to him. It was a means of sort of safekeeping. But as long as he could keep it in the ground, there was no risk, right? I imagine maybe he had thoughts. Ooh, you know what? Maybe next week I'll invest this. I'll go dig that up. I'll unearth that and I'll go and do this. In his mind, maybe he daydreamed about possibilities and options and things. But at the end of the day, it stayed there in the ground and nothing happened. Now, let me ask you. And as I'm asking you, I'm really preaching to myself in this moment as well. Because I love possibilities, I love open-ended options. I, I love ideas. I mean, even as we talk about strengths and all this sort of stuff, like you take some of those personality tests and then you have those moments where you're like, oh, I wish I had so-and-so's personality profile, right? Maybe you have that, that moment. And what mine tells me, amongst many other things, all right, is I like ideas, I like input, I like taking in information, and I like to have just lots and lots of options and never drive towards a decision. Execution shows up nowhere in any of my personality profiles except the people that want to execute me, okay? Like, so... There's that sort of realm. Like, I, I kind of commiserate with, with the third. I'm like, oh, yeah, just keep it, man. You don't want to ruin it. Don't want anything to happen, right? Don't want to risk it. Because someday something might come along and you're going to need that. All right, and so let's, let's daydream the possibilities. Let's think through this. And I wonder how much that was at work here. But at the end of the day, that's bearing the talent. The Lord has given it to you. And there is a call to risk. Now, I don't know what that specifically is going to look like in your life. I can't tell you. I'm trusting that God's spirit is alive and active and at work and it's going to bring conviction to where things that you might be bearing. I want to talk though practically because I do need to see us go from just talking sort of the abstract to kind of press towards, hey, what are some practical ways even us as a church? And this is not an exhaustive, it's not an exhaustive list, but maybe the Lord has been pressing you and you're like, hey, I want to get further involved even in the life of, the, of Crossbus. Let me talk about a couple of very practical things here within the church and then out into the, the community. And again, all this stuff is on cpwp.life, but just at a very practical level, like our family coming together. Now, if this is your first week and you're just checking things out, hey, this is not intended as any sort of pressure. But if this is your church, this is your community, there's a call to be part of it, to actively serve one another, to care for one another. We, we're gonna see renewal as we all play our parts well. And sometimes we even play a part that might not be the most life-giving thing to us, but for the good of the whole, we're like, we're gonna actually enter in. We're gonna look to Jesus, we're gonna be like, he washed stinky feet. We're gonna look to Jesus who hung out with people that probably weren't the most pleasant to hang out with. He did all of the, these things and that's gonna motivate us to serve. And so there's very practical things within the life of the church. And maybe you've put that off. Maybe you're like, ah, someday I'll get around to it. Why, why keep that in the ground? The church needs you. And so talk with one of the leaders. Go online, go to the, the website, look for the card that says serve. Fine, there's lots of different opportunities. You're not locked in for life. It's an opportunity though to kind of experiment, try some things. The Lord wants to use you. We are less of a church if you're sitting on the sidelines. And so we need you engaged. Along with that, there's very practical opportunities. We talk treasure. We said 
this parable, it certainly is about time and it's about talents, but it also very much is about treasure. Jesus spoke about money more than almost any topic. Why? Because he knows how it can get a grip on our heart. Now, people misquote all the time and are like, yep, money is the root of all evil. It is not. Read your Bible. The love of money is the root of all evil because it can, we get consumed by it. There are lots of very, very wealthy people that do not have a love of money. It's totally fine. They should celebrate the fact God gave them that five talents, so to speak. And it's possible, right, to have less than one talent and be like totally consumed by, by money, all right? So the issue isn't amount. It's like, does it have a is it getting an unhealthy sort of grip on your, on your heart, on your affections? But as a church, here's a practical way. Literally yesterday, we just end our budget year runs September 1st through August 31st. So in the next week or so, we'll be sending out kind of finalizing stuff, giving you an update. We want to communicate clearly with that. So we're so thankful for the ways that you have provided the things that how God has worked in and through you in this. But I can tell you what, you are missing out on a joy of sacrificial generosity if you're not in the game. Like there's a call here to this generous living that the Lord has an invitation for you to experience, like to trust him in new ways, to trust that he's going to provide. It is an amazing thing. And you're actually robbing yourself of an opportunity to grow if you're not engaged in regular, cheerful, sacrificial giving. Now, out into the community, I talked about this last week. Let me put two things before you, all right? We want to intentionally love the stranger, extend hospitality. And so starting this around the table, the third week of each month to invite, be intentional inviting somebody in your community, maybe somebody you work with, might be somebody in your neighborhood, invite them in, have a meal, all right? There's a card at cpwp.life that gives some information, trying again to dispel this picture that you might have of like, it's gotta be this amazing epic party that you're throwing. No, 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 like order some pizza, all right? And put out some food, all right? Just put the food out there. You can do paper plates, all right? No matter, right? The point is, get time with people. And then one thing that there's some information after the service here that I would encourage you. One of our great partners in the, the community is Orlando Children's Church. Do you know that every week, all right, upwards of 200 kids show up, all right, in the Domerick neighborhood and these buses go out. And we as a church, through your generosity, there's a bus that Crosspoint sponsors that goes every week to a particular neighborhood and brings kids from the community and they come in and they can have, be fed a, a meal, that they have breakfast together. There's leaders from the community as well as from this church specifically that are there every week that are loving on these kids, caring for them, pointing them to Jesus. It's instruction in the gospel so they would know that in both word and deed, all right? And so we want to make you more aware of what is happening. So after the, this service, one of the leaders with OCC and one of our deacons here at Crosspoint is Ashley Eddy. She's put together a great table that's out there. Will you do me a favor and stop by there and learn about this, this ministry, but also a practical thing. You heard about the supply drive that's ongoing. You can do that. And then we also are going to have a ride along which means on October 5th, that particular Saturday, you have an opportunity, all right, to go ride the bus. Some of you haven't been on a bus in a long time. It'll be fun, right? Get on the bus and go with the driver to pick up the, the kids in this neighborhood and then bring them back, all right? And you get to interact. You get to experience a bit of, you know, who the, the, these kids are, a practical way to love them. There's space online. You can go sign up for that as well as there's these bookmarks out there. These are a list of names. There's a different name, all right? Go get one of these. Use it as a bookmark, hang it on your fridge, whatever you want to do, but use it as a reminder to pray 
there's a name of a kid that rides on the bus that Crosspoint sponsors that is coming from that neighborhood to the ministry of OCC every single week. Will you commit to pray for them? So you might not be able to go on the ride along. Maybe you have something that, that day, but you can pray. There's over 40 of these that are out there. I don't want there to be any left on the table. We need to be praying for these kids, praying for the leaders that are investing in them. Let's not bury our talents. But we'll close with this. Beyond just this problem of possibilities, I think big picture, and it was there in the text, there's a problem of perspective. The third servant doesn't rightly view the master. When, let me ask you, how do you think about God when you think about God? What do you believe his disposition is toward you if you're a follower of him? The first two had a very different understanding of the master than the third. The third says, I heard you are a hard man. What would give him that indication? Everything we know in the story, 3 million, 1.2, 600,000, right? And then he starts going on this sort of, he seems to be making excuses like, well, you know, I mean, I'll just re read the words so we have it fresh in, in our minds. But he's, he's looking at this. And he's like, well, you know, I knew that uh, this master answered, or sorry, he said to him, he says, well, I was afraid, you know, you reap where you did not sow, you gather where you scattered no seed. And he's like, yes, yeah, so what? Like, he's like, okay, even if I grant you that for a moment, like you at least should have like invested it with the bank, like made some interest on it. He seems to have issue with the fact that the one who owns everything is going to see what the servant did with it and like make a profit off of it. Like that's, that's how it works. Why is that an issue? He's making excuses in the moment because he doesn't rightly understand the generosity of his master. Rob Young in his book called The Parable said this, in contrast to the fear of the one talent servant, the good servants trust in the goodness of their master and as a result of their faith are willing to take risks in order to achieve a maximum return for their master's money. First and foremost, the parable is about God and his character. Yes, how do we respond to it? But do you see the generosity of the master? Do you see the goodness of the master? At the end of the day, the, the third servant gets what he has chosen. He did not want to be in a relationship with the master. He was given the same opportunities. And instead he said, no, no, showing that he doesn't have a relationship with him. He's in the darkness. He's in the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth because he said, I don't want to be in your presence. But the first two understand that they're stewards, that they're not owners. They understand how generous the Lord has been with them. The way that they view God as one who is good and is kind and is loving Certainly one that will punish wrongdoing. He is a God of love and a God of wrath, all of those things. But they understand something about the master. And so we'll close with this. Do you and I rightly understand? Do you rightly understand the generosity of our God? Do you rightly understand the master? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Do you regularly go back to the scriptures in those moments where fear is rising up? You're like, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to, I don't want to do this. And there are ways that you could preach this text. I sat under a sermon this, this summer. I happened to be in another area and we just found a random church to go to. And the guy literally got up. It was eloquent. It was insightful in many ways. And then at the concluding point was this. All right, you've been given a lot, regardless, five, two, one. Don't screw it up. Go in peace and be the church. Are, are you kidding me? Like, 
you just put this huge burden. You didn't direct me at all to who our God is. Like, we need to know the character of our master. Otherwise, this will crush us. And so be reminded of things like in Romans 8, where Paul looks out and he's looking at difficulty and the trials and tribulations of life and all the complexity that we navigate. And he says, what then shall we say to these things? How do we respond? Here's how we respond. Here's how you respond with fear and anxiety rears its ugly head. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This scarcity mindset creeps in. Like, I only got one talent. I don't want to mess it up. He's given you everything. He's going to be, continue to be gracious to you. How do you know? Look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ. The father gave his son he did not spare his own son. I love the way Paul would write to the church in Galatia, chapter four, verses four to seven. We looked at this in the very first week. I want to come back to it. You see here the active nature of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit working together. This is how we're to rightly understand our God. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. God sends his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. The law will crush us because I'm not perfectly obedient. But the son was, and in his perfect obedience, he perfectly obeyed the father and that obedience took him all the way to a cross so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son. So we got God the father, God the son working together. Now God the spirit sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You know what this means? It means all of those servants in the story eventually get their, uh, their status transferred from servant to son because they've trusted in the goodness of their master, of the father that sent the son to breathe the redemption, to die for us, to rise again, to come back and set everything right. And in the meantime, he's given us this great and high and noble call to seek renewal, to steward well what he's given to us, if we try and do this in our own strength, we will not do it. It will crush us. But when we see the goodness, the loving kindness of our master, the one who was willing to send his son and this son, what he was willing to do for you and me, people that were deserving of hell, people that were deserving of the darkness, people that bury our talents into the ground, all right? When we see that he came for sinners like us, suddenly the fear begins to dissolve the things we hold on to tightly, we begin to be a bit more open-handed and we can be generous with our time, with our talent, with our treasure. We can be about this work of renewal. So I'm going to pray. I want you to take a moment, just we're continuing our service in just a moment, but please take some time to reflect on this and we'll continue in our service in just a moment. Let me pray. Father, thank you for these words, these challenging words that you've given to us, but thank you for your character that it makes it possible for us to live as the stewards you've called us to live as. We pray for the empowering work of your spirit to convict us in areas where maybe we have buried our talent. And God, would you help us by your grace to unearth that, to be able to offer it for your kingdom, for your purposes, for your glory. And in doing so, God, we know we will find a great joy. So help us to believe that, to trust in you. God, I pray for us as a community that we would wrestle through these things together, that we wouldn't feel a pressure to figure this out all on our own, but that we are here, God, as a people empowered by your spirit, this community that you've raised up, 
God, I pray that we would have more and more opportunities to be about renewal as we seek to love our neighbor uh, very practically over a meal as we invest in the, the kids and the ministry at OCC and beyond so many other things that people are involved in, God. You're doing a work of renewal. We ask for more. As the Holy Spirit, lead us now, convict us where it's needed and then apply the comfort of the gospel to our hearts that are in desperate need of it. So God, hear our prayers now, we pray in Jesus' good name. Amen.